Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me to discuss Psalm 49, I'm glad today to talk with Rachel Timms. In this episode, we talk about a rather unique wisdom psalm in Psalm 49. It doesn't read like a prayer, and it's not a prayer, and it only mentions God twice. So we wrestle with that, what it can still teach us about God, the ways that its discussion of wealth helps us wrestle with our own covetousness, and also how this can kind of jettison us into prayer, even if it's not a prayer itself. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I enjoyed, of course, talking with Rachel. To get us started, here's Rachel reading Psalm 49. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough, so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all concede that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave far from their princely mansions, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increase, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. Rachel, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thank you, Matt. Great to be back. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I you're coming back with quite the psalm. I know. I it doesn't read like a psalm, so it really uh, threw me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really fair. It's I counted, we'll maybe get to this later, only two mentions of God in this psalm. Yes, I noticed that as well. It's not directed to God. Yep. At all. It's literally directed to the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of interesting. And I mean it says in the beginning, I will turn my ear to a proverb. Yeah. And a riddle which that it felt like. Well, shall we just dive right into our questions? Sure. Rachel, what stood out to you in reading this psalm? I mean, yes, other than that, it did not feel like many psalms that I'm used to. I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was what's talked about in verse seven Mm -hmm. and eight. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. I just, that feels very just like uniquely God to not be able to be bought off by anything. Oh, interesting. 
I just think our world is so easily persuaded by money or influence or power. Like, we just are as humans. I think of all of these, Matt and I are big fans of political dramas. So <laughs> we tend to watch a lot of those. And I always think these politicians in these shows are portrayed as like, they're very strong on a particular belief or point, And they convince that they will not waver. And then they're kind of like in a tight spot and they're trying to make a bunch of things happen. And like, understandably, but at some point someone will come to them and offer them like the the prize mm. that they want more than like their value that they held and they're willing to be bought off for it. Like whatever like next step on the ladder or connection it gets them, like they will change their belief. And I just, I mean, that's like on a national fictional scale, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I do think even in our own personal lives, like it's rare that we will like hold fast to something so much that, like we can't be persuaded to let it go for the right price. And so I just think it's really interesting that it's very clear in this proverb that like God can't be bought for your salvation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like the psalmist is just saying to God, life is invaluable. Yeah. Like, yeah, he can't be bought. I like that. He can't be influenced with your resources or with your money. Yeah, it just feels very unique to God. Yeah, I love that. What stood out to me is, first of all, this this psalm, the psalmist is just like really going after people with wealth. Yeah. Like it's hardcore. And I think it's pretty clear that it's not just people with wealth. I mean, in verse five, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? It, it's people who are particularly arranged against the psalmist. And the psalmist is clearly identifying with the poor here as well. So it's a particular right. kind of people who have wealth and then are using it to oppress so it's not it's not purely the wealth in itself there seems to be a story in the psalm as well but still even with that kind of big caveat he's he's sort of really just railing on them and felt a little wounding to me especially verse 16 do not be overawed when others grow rich when the splendor of their houses increases and i was thinking about we recently took a vacation I guess I should say, for those who don't know, Rachel's my wife, which is why we took a vacation together. And watched political dramas and watched together. And political dramas together for new listeners. But we went on vacation to the Midwest to this little lakeside town, incidentally called Lakeside. And we were walking along and seeing a whole mix of kinds of houses, like the really estately kind of huge ones, but then also like the cozy little cottage. And I looked at them all and I said, the one that I want the most is the biggest one. And then I read this and it was like, do not be overawed when others grow rich. When the splendor of their houses increases, I was like, that feels a little on the nose. So it felt like it just struck a little close to home. It's amazing how easy it is just to get swept up in kind of the narrative of wealth as success and wealth as something that endures. And wouldn't it be nice to have all that? And there's some truth to that, of course. But I think the scope and the perspective of this psalm is helpful in kind of pointing out some deeper realities. Yes, but in the end, it doesn't add up to really anything in God's eye. Right. Well, speaking of God, nice segue. What do we learn about God from this psalm? I mean, yeah, I do think kind of along the lines of like God can't be bought off. It's true. I, I think the psalm is very explicit about that when it comes to kind of salvation. 
But the psalm also doesn't guarantee that you following God on this earth will be like an equal experience. Like it's clear that the rich will get richer and their houses will increase and Mm. you will not necessarily be guaranteed that. And the afterlife, the psalm seems to indicate that you will endure, prevail over them in the morning. Yeah. But it's a very much like a not yet thing. And I think sometimes the myth that myth is maybe changing, but I think there are definitely sects of Christianity that promote kind of wealth and prosperity or like God will make your life so much easier. Like you will get all that you ever wanted. And I think this Psalm clearly says like, no, like there is a, a real and like internal benefit to following God, but it is not necessarily like wealth and happiness on this earth. And so I just kind of realized that juxtaposition. Yeah, totally. And I think like this is where I think wisdom literature is so helpful uh, because it is constantly, it's constantly putting things in conversation. In other words, Right now in morning prayer, we're reading, I think, from Psalm 112, which is essentially a psalm proclaiming blessings on those who fear the Lord. Mm. And those blessings include wealth and prosperity, essentially. And you're like, okay, so like if I just follow God, I get really rich? (laughs) Like it seems to be what that psalm says. Yeah, that's great, right? Like that'll preach. We'll, you know, we'll grow some numbers real quick with that kind of message. But then... There's always another part of the conversation, I think, in wisdom. And this psalm helps speak to both the ways that wealth can mislead and I think can kind of have this insidious effect and also kind of a deeper reality, too, about, yeah, who prospers and when when we prosper. Right. And kind of the, the divine economy, so to speak. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Verse 15, Derek Kidner, who's a commentator, describes... Verse 15, which is, but God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. He describes that line, that but God, as one of the, quote, mountaintops of Old Testament hope. Hmm. It's like one of these moments, he suggests, where there's something breaking through. The, The Old Testament doesn't have a super robust sort of vision of the afterlife and what that looks like. The New Testament, frankly, doesn't have a super developed vision of that either, but certainly more so than what's going on in the Old Testament about what happens when we die and God's involvement in that. But here there's like this little glimpse. And one of the things that I think is super interesting is in verse 14, actually, when it's not talking about God, but it says, they are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd. Death gets personified here. And one of the things we've talked about in the Psalms over and over is that God is this kind of shepherd king. You can't read death will be their shepherd without thinking of sort of Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd, the sort of covenant name for God in the Old Testament. And so this contrast really going back, I think, to what you were saying and just what struck you of who who is our shepherd here. And in fact, God is opposite of death. There is a sense in the psalm that I found kind of interesting in which there was, with its little mention of God, there was almost an inevitability. Like it was as if the psalmist was just saying, this is the way the world is. In other words, like you can't take it with you. Like when you die... Like even the wealthiest person, they leave it all behind. The tombs become their houses. Like there's just nothing they can do about that. That's just the reality. But here 
in verse 15, I think it makes a turn where it says, actually, there's even more going on than that because death is the shepherd of those people. But as for me, God will redeem me from the realm of the dead and that God is the one who is engaged in life and redemption. And really, I mean, there's some hint here maybe of he's the only one who could pay the price for the life that's invaluable in verse seven and six. Yeah. So anyway. Is your version in verse 14 after it says death will be their shepherd have in parentheses, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning? Yeah. It's uh-huh. a weird thing to have in parentheses. That feels like a like a major point of the proverb or the psalm. <laughs> I Any idea why that's there? I don't. No, I mean, I can make guesses. And my best guess would be that actually this psalm has a couple of interesting punctuation points, at least in the NIV that we're looking at. It's got some M dashes. In verses 5, 7, and 8, it's as if the psalmist is making like parenthetical comments that are interrupting the flow of thought. I'm not a nearly good enough Hebrew reader to understand fully what's going on here, but you can't see like that, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. He then immediately returns to talking about the, like the wealthy, like the those other ones yeah and my guess is the translators here are trying to prevent us from reading but the upright will prevail over them in the morning the upright will decay in the grave and so they're trying to offset that by by parentheses to show like we're returning to the thought from before but it is it's an interesting choice yeah i'm like you kind of want to emphasize that point i would think yeah and obviously like just the complexity of this particular psalm and some of its differences stands out even in the punctuation Hmm. so it's worth listener if you're just listening to this maybe pulling this up and just kind of checking it out it's kind of interesting to see should we go to our third question rachel how does this psalm help us to pray i think it's just a good reminder that at least i am susceptible to the lure of riches and wealth as you said like the biggest house definitely it can cloud your vision i always Mm. think of what jesus says in matthew about it's not necessarily impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of god but it is very difficult it is like a camel trying to go through the eye of a needle and that's always struck me i think when i was younger i always heard that as like a rich person can't go to the kingdom of god and that's not what he says but he says it will be harder and then he follows that up right with like one of his disciples, I think, asked, like, well, how is it possible? And he says, well, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Yeah. Yeah. In Mark 10. And so I think it's just a good reminder. Like, I mean, the income gap is significant, but I would consider us among like the wealthy. Yeah. Right. And so it's a good reminder that I'm obviously still getting tripped up by those things like that. The privilege and wealth that I do have is hindering like my walk with God and Mm. like in all of these ways like I am I think just yeah tempted to want to take it all to the grave or like build it up so that it has some kind of legacy that I leave behind and like again to God like that's not how he values like that's not what he put values on so it's a good reminder for me to pray like to not have my wealth and privilege cloud my vision mm. of like what God is doing in my life and in the world. Cause I think it's very easy to lose sight of kind of his, what he values. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true. I was listening to another podcast today and it was a uh, African-American woman uh, who is now based at a theological school in Seattle. And she was just reflecting how a lot of her ministry in her past life had been 
in either international settings or lower income settings where she didn't have to help people understand what it meant to be poor mm. and what it meant that God cared for the poor. But now she's in this largely white school and she finds that part of her vocational calling is actually to help help people understand what it might mean. Uh, they're talking about Paul's language in, in one of the Corinthian letters where he's talking about being the scum of the earth mm. and like what it means for people who, yeah, have, have wealth and resources, felt never felt that to identify kind of as before God as the scum of the earth. And so I think that just dovetails really significantly with what you're saying in this psalm, maybe helps us begin to recognize some of that for ourselves. I love that. Yeah, the psalm isn't really a prayer, right? So right. it doesn't in that respect help us to pray. I I was kind of thinking about it. It's almost like a meditation on more, like one of the Ten Commandments about coveting, right? Yeah. You shall not covet. In fact, I went because I was like, okay, I know the like you shall not covet part, but like what actually is in Exodus 20, like the command? <laughs> and it's you shall not covet your neighbor's house, oh. which is kind of fascinating. And then it goes on. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey. But the use of house just triggered me because obviously that's what stood out to me yeah. mm-hmm. kind of in this psalm as well. And so it's almost like a meditation on that commandment that then sort of jettisons us into prayer. Like, okay, this this is the way of wisdom is to not be overawed by this, to not rely on this, but I'm going to need some help <laughs> going back to like, with man, things this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Like, God, I, I'm going to need your help to actually kind of live live this out. And so it yeah. feels like we're always turning to God for, for wisdom and to help us live wisely. And this psalm to me felt like kind of the diving board into that, that pool of prayer to continue the strange metaphor. <laughs> yeah. And just a reminder that like God doesn't want us to covet because it's just like wasting time. Like he's like, their houses will not remain forever. So like why covet something that's going to disappear in a matter of, you know, generations or whatever it might be. Sure. And so it's just a good reminder to like, God's like, don't waste time on this. (laughs) Yeah. There are probably all kinds of like other formative layers to like, yeah, what coveting does to us and the ways it malforms us. But I love that. And that's maybe a great note to end on. There is just the simple fact of, it's a waste of your time. Yeah. <laughs> you've been given what you've been given and like receive that as gift too, right? Yeah. Well, thanks, Rachel, for having a conversation about this quite unique Psalm 49. Yeah, it was a fun exploration. Yeah, kind of fun to dive into. Well, let's conclude again with some verses from this Psalm, verses 13, and then concluding with this mountaintop of Old Testament hope. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Friends, go out and pray the Psalms. <laughs>